Hello and welcome to another edition of Ask the Experts here on City News 570. I'm joined today by Faisal Susie Wallen. Faisal is ranked within the top three real estate brokers in the world for REMAX and was recently named Canada's top agent for 2022. Faisal started his career at the young age of 18 and has been delivering outstanding results for over 30 years now, most notably with REMAX Twin City Realty. Faisal is here today to talk everything from interest rates to pledges from the region. Welcome back to the show, Faisal. Thanks for having me on, Brock. Uh, listeners, if you're interested in any of the information we discuss over the next hour, please reach out to Faisal. You can start your journey at homeshack.com. You can also call him directly 519-624-5555 or by email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, we're now four months into 2023. What happened in the market during the first uh, first quarter of the year? We've seen a real uptick in the market. You know, I think people are just tired of sitting on the sidelines, doing nothing, waiting for something to happen. And essentially, we talked about this in the past where it was just herd mentality. Uh, you know, my friends aren't buying, my neighbors aren't selling. I'm not going to start the trend now. And, and people just got tired. And then all of a sudden, they've realized now that the mortgage payments are actually matching what the prices are as a result of the rates going up. So if you had $3,500 a month to spend on a mortgage payment when the values were $850,000, now the value of that home is $700,000. Yes, the rate's higher, but your mortgage payment didn't actually change. But the beauty of that whole idea is that you have $100,000 or $150,000 less to spend um, to pay off that mortgage. So that realization has just started to come in and people are saying, well, nothing's happened. You know, we're just still sitting here. But what did happen is that rents went up and the mortgage payment is pretty much equal to what the rent payment would be. So for those buyers who were thinking, well, I'll just rent for a year, what they've really done is um, lost the ability to pay down their mortgage for that year. Absolutely. And they've spent their money that they would have spent on their mortgage on rent and essentially helping their landlord pay down their mortgage instead of paying down their own. So um, look, I'm a landlord, uh, but at the same time, I feel bad for buyers who are not seeing the opportunities that they're missing by sitting on the sidelines. What what do you expect is going to be happening as we we're we're heading into the spring market? We know look outside the weather's starting to change in, in for the better, uh, and I know that that uh, has a little bit of uh, impact on people's mentality. But in your mind, what what is the spring market going to look like? So traditionally, you know, uh, March, April, May, June are the best four months of any year to sell your home, which is not necessarily best time to buy, but that's when the inventory levels are there. So if you are a buyer, you're going to see the best selection in this time. Uh, The rates have stabilized, which... You know, we've had seven increases and then two pauses. And those pauses are really what's creating that positive energy. Um, Add to it the season, add to it the weather, add to it the time of year where people want to make the move so that they can settle into their homes uh, for the fall market before the kids uh, go back into school. Uh, So because of that, we've seen a 10% increase in the average price of a home since November. 
Um, wow. So we were down 32, 33% at the high levels of the down uh, cycle of the market, but now we're seeing a 10% increase. So what that translates into is that a home that was selling in March of last year, which was the peak of the market for say a million dollars, would have sold for $750,000 back in November. But today you could probably buy that home for $850,000. So that rate stabilization has just created uh, a little bit more of a confidence in the marketplace for people to come in uh, and, and start buying again. And, and I know this, the, we we got some new numbers that that came out this, uh, this week as well too. When we're looking at the inflation rate, does the inflation rate in your mind have much of an impact when, when we're looking at, at house prices as well? Well, it, it definitely has, um, you know, the inflation rate, and it's, it's interesting, inflation is at 4.3 today, and the rates are at 4.5. Now, right. February inflation rate last month, or two months ago, the rate was 5.2. And if you look at the high of last year, June, the inflation rate was at 8.1. So yes, increasing the interest rates has impacted, but but you also look at it and say, well, if you look at February of 2022, so mm -hmm. I go back a year, the rate was the inflation rate was 5.2 and the interest rate was 2.5. So I don't think it's just raising the interest rate that is impacting the inflation rate. We've got a supply chain issue. We've, we've talked about that. We've talked about a labor issue. We've talked about a lot of different things that have an impact. So using antiquated policies from the 80s to control inflation today is not necessarily the right answer. And we're finding that, look, now that the rates are frozen at 4.5%, um, people are jumping back in. What's happening in the marketplace? We're seeing bidding wars. We're seeing lack of inventory. We're seeing 10 to 12 offers coming on properties. And then that whole cycle has begun. And uh, again, we'll talk uh, a little bit about why that cycle has begun and what is happening. But the cost of borrowing money today versus a year ago is, about, is up about 25%. Right. So that's what we're looking at. But the price of a home is only down 15%. From the highs. So the disconnect is going to continue happening because we have an inventory issue. Right, right. And and you've talked about in the in the, the past, and, and I know that this is part of part of how, how you you look at things. You talk about bidding wars, and we know that when you're going to work with possible clients from Oakville, from uh, from Burlington, from Brampton. That's what they're used to. And and you're you're bringing them in saying, this is this is the way it is and how it's going to be here in, in our region as well, too. And, and that's interesting. You know, I, I've, I've often been criticized for um, creating a scenario or the strategy that I implement is, yes, I'm going to price the home less than what we're expecting, maybe by $100,000 less than what we're expecting. And I've been, uh, you know, boycotted by local realtors. They won't show my listings because they didn't like that. Now they've joined that philosophy and the strategy because... If you're not selling the way people are accustomed to buying a home, your home is not going to, to sell. You're listing it too high. The market's thinking, well, these people are probably expecting a bidding war, but the price is too high. So I'm not going to pay above what they're already asking. So they're they're going to the homes that are actually priced less than what the market value is. You need to sell the way people are accustomed to buying, not offering to sell, bidding to sell. That's the way people are buying homes today. 
when we look at current interest rates, you mentioned four and a half percent. What do you see happening moving forward? As you said, uh, we look back a year ago, it was down at two percent, two and a half percent. We know that that's not uh, going to be in in the wheelhouse in the next little while. But in your mind, what do you see happening? I think that uh, the rates are going to continue uh, being stable for this, probably for the next quarter. Um, I think there's pressure for for the rates to come down. Uh, you know, I, I heard whispers not that long ago that uh, there's a possibility uh, that the amortization will be extended to 40 years or 45 wow. years or even 50 years. Well, you know, you can't, and it's almost a situation where the feds think, okay, maybe we overshot, maybe we went too far. Now we've got egg on our face. We can't keep reducing interest rates because we'll be right back. So let's come up with a different solution. Let's put people in debt for a longer term and reduce their mortgage obligations or their payments. But that's not a good idea either. You know, you don't want to have a 40 or 45 year mortgage that you're making minimum payment on that's like paying three percent on your credit card forever it'll take you what 150 years to pay that credit card off uh, so that's the thing that we want to avoid you have to have a thoughtful process in canada you can't write off your interest so the idea of your principal home being paid off is so important it gives you a sense of security it gives you the ability to um to grow your portfolio as opposed to just working to pay your mortgage down. So I don't like the idea of these, you know, longer amortization. We there used to be a time when I first started in the business, uh, the amortization was 25 years. Then it creeped up to 30. We heard 35. Now they're talking 40 years. That's a long time to have a mortgage. Uh, we'll come up on a break. Uh, uh, when we come back, though, the region has pledged to build thousands of new homes. We're going to talk with Faisal about how realistic that pledge actually is. Stay with us here on City News 570. Back to the show, my guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Suziwala. Listeners, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to the website, homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519 519- 624-5555 or through email Faisal at homeshack.com. Before the break, Faisal, we were talking about interest rates and we know that they're staying steady right now. But we also got this uh, this big piece of information uh, that recently the region passed a pledge that is going to see thousands of new homes built uh, by 2031 in, in the next eight years or so. In your mind, Faisal, is, is that realistic? Well, this is a real hot topic for me, and it it gets my blood boiling sometimes when I hear what the mandates are from the councillors, what the regions are doing. Um, So, okay, so Kitchener councillors have pledged 35,000 new homes. Uh, Waterloo has pledged 16,000, and Cambridge has pledged 19,000. And that's all part of Bill 23, Ontario Homes Built Faster Act. Um, Is it realistic? Well, it, it is realistic if we've got everyone on side, if we've got all engines firing, and if everybody would actually do what they say they're going to do, as opposed to just sit around and strategize and not implement and not execute on what the plan is. You got to cut through the red tape. You have to stop making these bureaucratic decisions that hold things up forever and ever. And I'm 
I'm reading every day um, about projects still not going through because the neighbors didn't like it, because the local councillor didn't support it, and the local councillor is not supporting it because the local councillor wants their votes. And, you know, and I'm not going to apologize for any of these comments because this is a fact. They want their pensions, they want their votes, but do something to help what is supposed to be happening in our region, which is development. We have a housing crisis. The reason for bidding wars, the reason for the prices going up and things going insane is because there's too many roadblocks, too many stops, not enough participation, not enough execution, not enough initiative on the councillors and the city part to allow these projects to go forward. You can't say we have a problem and then not try to fix the problem and then put roadblocks up when you've got developers and builders that are trying their hardest to put housing into the marketplace will support those mandates and stop putting roadblocks and this whole not in my backyard attitude it really doesn't work if you're buying a home backing onto a farmer's field know that you're going to expect some sort of development happening there and that's just part of it you know uh, Kitchener comes up with a strategy of 59 actions Waterloo comes up with a strategy of they've approved 81 actions in how they're going to implement their, you know, 35,000 new homes or Waterloo is going to implement 16,000 new homes. Well, it's great to sit around a table and come up with strategies, but execute on those strategies and at least return a phone call, city people, councillors, when you get a call from a builder or a developer or somebody who just simply wants to sever their lot and build a home on that, return the damn phone call because that will go a long way in getting some housing into our communities. If you're looking for a part-time job, Faisal, I'm, it's not, you could throw your hat in the ring for city council. It sounds like you would bring a lot to the table and you might ruffle some feathers, but that's, that's okay. That's what, what city council is all about sometimes. I've already got gray hair. I don't need more. <laughs> <laughs> you bring up a good point though. And that idea of, you know, throwing out this number of, of thousands of homes being built, as you said, yes, we we need them. But we've also talked about this in the past, the idea that you have to have skilled tradespeople. And and we know that that's, that's a struggle for a lot of these companies out there too, that, that you know, a lot of the younger people are, aren't necessarily looking at getting into the trades. And I think that's, that's a, a shame in a lot of ways because there are so many opportunities. And if, if people have that, that chance to actually sit back and take a look and say, Hey, learn about how to become a millwright, how to become uh, a construction worker, how to, you know, how to do these things, start your own company up. There are so many options out there. And I think we, we we're missing the boat in a lot of ways. Well, absolutely. There, the, and and it, it it is sad that everyone is sort of getting away from those trades. But the the opportunities in those trades are going to be endless, and there's going to be high demand of you know anything to do with construction and contracting. Uh, a smart decision to get into those uh, careers for sure. If we can, if we can change gears a little bit right now, the other thing that we had talked a bit about just uh, during the break. Um, the terms uh, power of sale and and foreclosure those those were a uh, uh, those were floated out there quite a bit back in let's say 2008 2009. They seem to be coming back and uh, more and more these days and and showing up in news stories and so on. What do we need to know about these terms? Have they changed and 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 if not, what what does the the next generation need to know about these things as well? Yeah, sadly, we're hearing those terms again and and. Um, 
for about 10 years there, you know, rarely, if ever, in that 10 year period, had, had I been contacted by a bank or a lender that said, uh, we're putting this property under power of sale. So first of all, what is a power of sale? A power of sale is for the lender or the mortgage holder to have the power to sell your home in the event that you don't make your mortgage payment. So it's a very right. simple, they have the power to sell your home. That's power of sale. That happens when you don't make your payments. There's lots of fees and costs related to that when it comes to legal fees and, and that type of thing, because they have to uh, get to a point where they take possession of your home in order to sell that property. Then there's the term foreclosure. And in the term foreclosure, it's very different in that it's not the ability or the power to sell your home. It's the power to take your home. Right. So when you're being foreclosed right. upon, your home is your title is being given back to the lender or the mortgage holder. Um, in a power of sale, you are entitled to any of the excess money. So you they have to get their mortgage money back, their legal fees back, their their real estate fees back, and whatever cost was involved in selling that property is recovered by the lender, and the balance of that money is then paid back to you, the homeowner. In a foreclosure, the home goes directly to the mortgage holder and there, or the lender, I should say, and there is no excess money given back to you. So you basically quit title to your deed at that point. So when you're taking a mortgage, especially a private mortgage, make sure you really understand the terms um, for, of non-payment and what it entails and what kind of costs you could be looking at. The penalties and whatnot can be just uh daunting when you look at exactly what could happen to you if you don't make those payments so very important to stay on top of those things um important to avoid putting yourself in a position where you get behind and that's where it's so important to look at when your renewal dates are look at what the rate of renewal is going to be you know a lot of people bought homes back in 2018 with a five-year mortgage that is coming due this fall so most mm -hmm. people buy a home in June, July, August, and they will close in September, October. So those renewals are probably in your mailbox now. Uh, you know, up to six months ahead, the bank might get in touch with you. Look at right. what the renewals are. The sad reality is that um, you may have bought your home for $500,000. In 2021, the government promised that the interest rates are going to stay low forever. And uh, the rates were 1.8%. So you went and got a line of credit. Well, unfortunately, that line of credit today is at 7.2%. Right. So when your renewal comes in, you may be looking at 55 to 6% renewal on a mortgage that you were paying 2.8% on. So your payments are going to double. So the time to look at what I'm going to do is not at that point looking back and saying, uh-oh, what do I do now? It's, it's, it's to look at it now and say, do I A, need to downsize? Do I need to make other arrangements? Do I need to extend my amortization? Uh, but get a professional either. Talk to your bank, talk to your realtor and understand what your obligations are going to be because you want to maintain control of the sale of your property and not ever let, get it to a point where it goes power of sale. Right, right. And and, and I the, the thing is, you must, people must come across your door quite often and, you know, you're, you, you might be looking at this thinking it's not it's not, it might not work because you know you, you haven't gotten your ducks lined in a in a row uh, you haven't done your homework these are these are these things aren't going to necessarily end well and that's 
we've talked about this in the past, that idea that, you know, your, your home is your castle, but you also have to be realistic about what, what it is that you're actually able to afford because you, you can't, people talk about, you know, being mortgage poor and all those things, but it can't be the, you know, the, the decision between paying the mortgage and having food on the table. That's, you, you can't get to that point. And there are, there are options. There are solutions if you get to it early enough. But, if, you know, and I've had, sadly, again, I've had people call me 10 to 12 days before the sheriff is going to show up at their door and lock them out. Well, that's really, and, you know, fortunately, we've been able to help people that are in that position. But that's not a good position for anybody to be in. Um, what one needs to understand, though, that if you're being put under a situation of power of sale, uh, it's not foreclosure. So you haven't given up title. So you still have the right to redeem your home um, right up to and including the point where uh, the, door, the, the house is closing. So we'll talk about what that means for buyers in a moment, but um, it's you can't just give up and throw your hat, hands up and say, take my house. There's always an opportunity. There's always a way to recover. So don't ever get to a point where you allow the bank to take possession or allow the bank to take control of the sale of your home. Always maintain that control. There are great realtors out there that can give you options, solutions. I myself have done that for many of my clients over the years where we've helped them even financially get over that little hump so that they can maintain the control of the sale of their home. Great information for us to have. We do need to take a break. We'll get a, an update from the City News 570 News Center. When we come back, Faisal is going to talk about that idea of, well, what is what does all this mean when it comes to being the buyer as well? Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Suziwala. If you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, before the break, we were talking about the power of sale. We were talking about foreclosures as well. And you were you were mentioning that, you know, all of the things that as a as a, a seller that you need to make sure that you're you're aware of. What does this mean for the buyer as well? And, and what would be the advantages and disadvantages in situations like this? For a buyer, again, um, most buyers will look at something that's under power of sale and assume it's going to be a good deal for them. And often it is a good deal, but it comes with some risks. And one of the risks is you're buying it as is. There's no warranty or disclosures or anything that you can really rely on when you're buying a power of sale. There's probably four or five pages of fine print that the lender will attach to the offer. And you must sign all of those in order for your offer to be considered. And basically it's saying, we'll sell you the house if it's still available for sale and it hasn't gone back to the buy uh, to the to the seller um what that what i mean by that is a power of sale means that yes the bank has the right to sell your property but the person who lives lived in the home has mm -hmm. the right to redeem that property which means that right up until the day of closing so I'll give you an example you owe seven hundred thousand dollars on your home you haven't made mortgage payments in four months the bank has now taken over the property and is trying to sell the property a buyer comes in pays seven hundred and eighty five thousand for that home day of closing if that 
owner of that home shows up with a check for the mortgage amount plus mm -hmm. all the costs that the lender has incurred and drops it off at the lawyer's office, they can take their home back. They're right. not going to lose their home. So as a buyer, you may be in a moving truck ready to move into your home. And now in my career of 35 years, I've only seen that happen once. So it's very rare that somebody all of a sudden as sort of a last Hail Mary here and, and shows up. There you go. But it does, it has happened and it can happen. So just be aware of that. But the bigger risk here is just that you're buying something completely unknown. The house is probably damaged. It's probably not in the great condition. Um, water is usually turned off. So you can't test a lot of things in those homes. So just be very mindful and understand that, yes, you might be getting a little bit of a better deal, but you might be putting that money back in later on for repairs and renovations. Historically, would it be someone coming in and, and wanting to flip that property anyway? They're just you know, it, it's not their dream home necessarily. So if they don't actually end up uh, walking away as the, as the owner, they're okay to let it go. But it may be that they're just looking to 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 do some work and and put it back on the market fairly quickly. Yeah, we do find the investors usually gravitating towards those. Um, for a first time home buyer, it could be very risky because they may not have the disposable cash available to do the renovations and they certainly don't want to buy something with a lot of uh, unknown factors so you know you want to minimize your risk and your exposure to the unknown so sophisticated investors flippers or renovators or someone that is really handy that is a first-time home buyer may look at a power of sale um the power of sale process is very similar to what we're doing in the market now where it turns into a bidding war again the banks will ask for offers to be submitted on a certain date and those offers come in sometimes you'll see 15 20 30 offers on a property uh, and sometimes you actually end up paying more than that property is really even worth because people get up get caught up in the moment of mm -hmm. the bidding war as opposed to having a rational thoughtful decision on whether or not this is a right purchase for them so good, uh, good to, again, we've said this in the past, do your homework, know what it is that you're getting yourself into. Um, and, and as Faisal is, uh, has said uh, clearly, that idea of minimize your risks, right? Don't, uh, don't take any of these things on uh, if, you're, if you're not comfortable with it because it's, it's not something that you want to be dealing with six months down the road, basically. Uh, if, if we, we know that there's been some good news, especially um, on the renovations front, what, uh, Faisal, can you tell us about this, the new federal tax credit that's uh, focusing on multi-generational home renovations? So, you know, a lot of us have elderly parents that may need a place to stay in. Um, and, you know, this is another way to sort of uh, have that combined family living, share the costs, that type of thing. So if you've got um, uh, a, a senior parent that's over 65 or, or an adult with a disability, that is related to you. So it could be your 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 mother, father, uncle, aunt, niece, nephew um, that needs a place to stay because they have a disability, and you need to accommodate your home for them. You still have to make sure it's an independent living quarter, separate entrance, kitchen, bathroom, sleeping quarters. So it still needs to be completely separate. And there's up to $7,500 tax credit that's available. So the maximum, uh, so if you spend $50,000 as a maximum amount, 
that's the $7,500 benefit that you're going to get on your tax return. As long as you're creating um, an auxiliary apartment within your home uh, for them, but it cannot have shared accommodations. You can't say, well, I took it my mom or my dad and we're all living together. So I want the $7,500 tax credit because of that. Um, it doesn't also allow you to spend money on appliances or other or, or, or housekeeping and those types of costs. So make sure that if you are uh, applying for that, that that $50,000 that you spend uh, does not include things like appliances, furnishings, um, home care, that type of thing. It has to be basically the structural changes that you're making in order to create that dwelling for your uh, parents, seniors, or or family with a disability. We you mentioned this as well too that it's it's sort of an old idea and and a lot of a lot of uh, Canadians that are that are new to the country uh, when they they come here it, it's it's what they've grown up with that in in one household will be uh, the the children and the parents and the grandparents and in some cases aunts or uncles and the idea is that the home is is. Um, is central to the family and it's also central to that idea of of caring not just for the younger generation but also caring for the older generation i, I would think that that this this uh new plan um is a should be a fairly easy sell for a lot of people that are looking at ways to um to take care of their family members well it, it's excellent and you know what yes a lot of new comers to the country who may have culturally or traditionally sort of had that living uh, uh, system in 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 wherever they're coming from, they've they're bringing that here and they're doing that. But I'm also finding mainstream Canadian, grown up here, born here individuals are now coming to the realization that okay, and let's talk if you're 65 or 70 years old, you have kids who are married but are struggling they're they're struggling to find their first home or afford their first home um a lot of people of that generation are now looking and saying well instead of waiting until i pass on and leaving my money to my kids and then they can start their life with my money why not give them that opportunity now um let me enjoy my grandchildren and live with my family part time um they may have a home in Florida that they go to in the winters and in the summer they can come and stay in their multi-generational home um, that has, you know, a home with an, but at least their kids are now enjoying uh, a nice home, a pool, um, and they're not having to struggle and wait until mom and dad pass on before they are able to start their, their home buying journey. And uh, so we're seeing a lot of that. And this is only a result of the lack of affordability and opportunity that, that, this generation is going to have and the struggles that they're going to face and of course the housing crisis that we're that we've been talking about for the past year um they it may not be that they can't afford it maybe they just can't find it in in you've been at this as you talk the the idea of that you know the last 30 35 years has there been a time historically where families as as parents uh, age where they you know in in their mind it's and and you've talked just about this um where it's it's it just makes sense for them to say you know what the the house is yours now and you might as well you might as well have it now as you said before they they pass away is that is that something that we see around the world that that's that same sort of idea that the 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 property itself becomes 
like almost like a family heirloom and you're just going to continue to pass it down. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, a way to, to generate income. But instead, it's just this idea it's, it's going to stay in the family like we would have seen, you know, say 200 years ago with with farms and, and those kinds of things. Yeah, like, I mean, in places like India, Pakistan, um, that's common, you know, for hundreds of years, it was, you know, my great, great, great grandfather's house, and then my grandfather's house, and my dad's house, and then now it's my house, and it just gets passed on, and they just never, ever sell those properties. We haven't seen that so much here, but now we're starting to see exactly what you said, Brock, where um, mom and dad have this massive 4,000 square foot home, kids are struggling in a 1,000 square foot townhome with three kids, um, so they're saying, you know what, why don't you guys move in here and we'll build a little in-law suite. We've got a place in Florida. So this is another way of creating, um, you know, giving them sort of what they would be inheriting anyways, but allowing them to enjoy uh, that with their kids as opposed to waiting until they're gone. They, didn't, they won't see what their kids are going to enjoy. It's good. It's good to to be able to take a look at all of those different uh, different ways and 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 viewing of uh, of uh, how to solve those problems. Because, like you said, we're dealing with a, a generation younger than us that are really going to be struggling unless uh, unless things turn around somehow. We do need to take a final break here on Ask the Experts. When we come back, another hot topic: renovations. You're listening to Ask the Experts here on City News five seventy. Welcome back to the show. My guest today, Faisal Suziwala, also known as Canada's top real estate broker. Listeners, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Before the break, Faisal, we were talking about looking at uh, looking at situations uh, through a different lens, um, a situation we find ourselves in right now, which which isn't necessarily a positive one, the idea of renovictions. So what is it and why is it such a hot topic these days? It, it's a hot topic these days because there's a lot of sort of unethical landlords out there, unfortunately, that are using any opportunity they can get to evict tenants um, and, and sadly they're, they're, they're thinking they're getting away with it or they're circumventing the system and they're beating the system, but they've got to be very mindful of the fact that they're not because when there is a housing crisis, um, those tenants are not sort of sitting on the sidelines uh, and saying, well, not a problem. I'll just go find another place to live. Uh, a, their rent's probably going to double where they're going to go. So they're not very happy about this renovation. So you better be doing exactly what you said you're going to be doing. And there's a lot more to it that landlords don't understand. So by simply giving a tenant an eviction notice because you want to do a major renovation, a demolition, or convert the unit to a commercial use um, to get them out isn't enough. You actually better do what you said you were going to do. And the right. eviction isn't automatic automatically going to get your tenant out. They may decide to take you to the landlord tenant board and the landlord tenant board will decide if that eviction is a legal and enforceable. And if it's not, then you're not going to be able to. So you can't really think that, oh, we'll just give them 60 days notice and we'll have that tenant out of here. Here's the interesting part though. And here's the problem part that 
you might say, okay, I've had this building for 30 years. It's in need of new bathrooms, new kitchen. I need to put new windows, roof. I'm going to spend $150,000 per unit renovating my 12-unit building, okay? Um, you must give the opportunity to your tenant to move back into that unit after you've spent the $150,000. And here's the kicker. At the same rent they paid before you renovated the unit. So as a landlord, you're going to be saying, okay, this tenant is paying $900 a month rent on a unit that I can probably get $2,000 a month rent for because they've been grandfathered in for so many years. Why is a landlord going to spend $150,000 renovating a unit only to give it back to that tenant to live in? fully renovated for $900. They're not going to do it. So the government in their infinite wisdom somehow thinks that um, this is a great idea. This whole renovation idea is great. You can give notice to your tenants, but the problem is there's no revitalization that's going to occur. What they should have done is said that a percentage of the increase uh, will apply as a result of the of the renovation. So if you spend $150,000, okay, maybe there's a 15% or 20% rent increase that you're going to have to pay in order to facilitate, create a cap rate to what is the cost of that renovation and what is it going to cost me to recover my capital expenses. Um, by simply saying to a bunch of landlords, uh, A, you can't renovate, uh, you can't kick your tenant out unless um, you have cause or unless you're doing a major renovation, but then you've got to bring them back in. Those tenants 100% are going to want to come back in because they're not going to, they could go Airbnb for two months or three months and they have up to two years to make that claim that they want back in. So you can't really do it unethically or lie to them about it or use whatever, you know, I'm going to move my kid in or I'm going to move my parent in. It, those things don't work. So landlords need to be uh, mindful of the fact that don't try. I get so many calls on a regular basis where I have tenanted properties that are for sale. Say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pay you full price for your property, but I want the units vacant. Well, that's not going to happen because my seller slash landlord isn't going to be the one that's going to end up in court or jail. The fine is $100,000 for an individual and up to $500,000 for a corporation. If you're caught wrongfully or unethically uh, or lying and taking a tenant out of their premises. So it's not a great system. The government has dropped the ball on this. You can't tell people we're encouraging you to renovate. And on the other hand, saying after you do the renovations, we're going to make sure your tenant has the right to move back in at the exact same rent. So it's it's a lose-lose situation for everybody. Right. And and that's why we, we hear it, keep, it, it keeps coming up in the news. And, and they're they're sad stories in a lot of ways because of the fact that, you know, it, it is that person who has been paying $900 a month and, you know, is, is, is now, you know, unable to make, even if, even if it was to say a 15 or 20% increase, but we also realize that it's, it's a, it's a business. And, and with, if you're the landlord, you're right. You're, you look at through that lens, you're thinking, I'm not going to be making all of these, these improvements to this property. If I can't actually get any sort of uh, recovery in, in, in the costs that I'm, I'm putting out there. Um, and, and you talked about this as well too. Um, the rights of the landlord and the rights of the tenant um, 
those are obviously important for for both parties to understand and know before they jump into this. So any advice that you would give to to let's say a landlord that's thinking about making these changes, what what do they need to know before they before they they jump into that? Well, one of the things is it, it's it's cash for keys. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this term, but cash for keys. Look, you you might say, look, I I've got to spend a ton of money here. Um, why don't I offer you X amount of dollars that will hopefully compensate at least a year's worth of rent for you? And and mm-hmm. and some tenants may be open to that option um, and say, yeah, you know what, that's fine. And then they'll sign off that okay, they're gone. Now you can because the value of your real estate property that is a rental dwelling, a multi-residential type property, is directly related to the rent you receive. Not so much to the the condition of the of the building matters, but not as much as the rent. Because if I can get four and a quarter percent on my GIC uh, in the bank, why would I want to earn four percent uh, cap rate on a rental property where I've got to deal with tenants, problems, plumbing issues, non-payment of rent? I might as well just put my money on a GIC for four and a quarter percent and forget about it, everything else and just earn that because I'm happy getting four and a quarter percent. But if your property is only giving a four percent cap rate, um, you're not going to be very happy with that return unless you have the ability to get an increased rent as a result of renovations. And this is what's going to create a lot of slum lords a slum housing because if i have no motivate i have no motivation to renovate a dwelling where i'm going to get zero return for the money that i'm spending well i might as well wait until they move out then renovate the entire building and then sell it as a new building as opposed to doing it while somebody's living there or giving them the opportunity to go back in there at a lower rate so it, it's just a vicious cycle and we deal with this every day we always do. now a single family home is a different story um, because you can buy a single family home with the exit strategy to sell it again as a single family home. But when it comes to multi-residential properties, the rent really does matter more so than it does in a single family dwelling. Great information always, Faisal. And as always, our time seems to just to, to get away from us. Um, I want to thank you again for coming on the show today. Always a pleasure to chat with you. And I know, as we've said, it's uh Heading into the spring season, it's going to be busy for you. You're hoping you get more than 24 hours a day, but I know you make the most of every hour that you get. Uh, You'll be on the show again with us again, I'm hoping. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on this week. Happy to have you as well, too. That was Faisal Susie Walla, Canada's top real estate broker, recently published author of The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker. Luckily for us, someone willing to share his thoughts on the current real estate market as well, too. Big thank you to our technical producer, Adam Sanderson, for pushing all the right buttons. And thanks to you listeners for joining us. You've been listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570.